Hi, welcome to Connecting the Dots, the podcast where we share our stories from the battlefield of consulting. I'm your host, Johnny Hill. Hi, I'm Brian Thompson. I'm Leslie Mitchell. I'm Andy Nichols. Hey, I'm Kareem Jamal. Today, we're talking all about how to understand, navigate, and manage conflict in the workplace. Let's get started. So I think a good first question is really just asking, where does conflict come from in the first place? Disagreement, right? Like just people don't agree with either the goal or the motivation or the timeline or something as it relates to a project. I had a colleague who used to say something to the effect of <clears throat> expectation is nothing more than delayed disappointment. And, <laughs> and I think one of those core things is just mismatched expectations kind of being one of the, the beginnings of, of a lot of conflict. And it is just human nature, right? No matter what, people are going to interpret things differently, right? Uh, something I heard in a different podcast, in fact, uh, was that conflict is two people in the same room or same zip code or something, right? So as long if there's you <laughs> and someone else, there will be some conflict at some point about something, right? It's it's a given. Yeah, I think it's fair to say conflict is kind of inevitable. It can take different forms and it can look different ways and it may need to be addressed differently depending on the type of conflict and who it's from and, and, and the context and everything. But yeah, it's, it's a very normal thing. I don't think anyone should be surprised that conflict happens. Uh, but let's talk a little bit about the different types of conflict that you might run into, whether on a project or really anywhere the different types of conflict you may encounter and how, depending on what it is, you might need to approach resolving it in different ways. Seems like there's so many different ways to categorize this. Uh, I think, first of all, like there's healthy conflict and then there's unhealthy conflict sort of at like the highest level, right? There's, there's lots of things that are just because we're in the same zip code that ultimately we're going to, you know, find that we have differences associated with and then have to work through what those differences are. And that's just sort of normal life in a lot of ways and absolutely normal project life. So there's a lot that we should just expect, which it coming up kind of means that you may have actually pretty healthy communication because it's actually coming up. Yeah, I think, I think from a project perspective, which is where we always come at these things, I think the biggest origin for conflict is that transition point between the negotiation, the contracts agreed, and then you're transitioning into actually doing the work. And normally at that point, there's a completely different set of people engaged and starting to participate that may not have any of the background or complete difference of understanding of what we're, we're being brought in to do on the project, who the players are. So I think trying to address that early potential for conflict is, is always critical. I think our kickoff meetings, which is part of our normal process, is absolutely critical in setting the tone for the rest of the project and trying to clarify any of those points that could be misunderstood or potentials for conflict. doesn't always catch everything, but it's a great opportunity to kind of level or baseline the playing field for everybody. Completely disagree. 
No, I'm just joking. Uh, <laughs> I, I actually very much do completely agree with that. And that's why we've stressed kickoff meetings so much. I think we had a previous episode about this too. But that is one of the places where a lot of conflict just, uh, it's, it's waiting to uh, sort of blow up, right? And so the, the more you can tackle that head on early on in these meetings and just get everyone on the same page, you are really reducing your chances of difficult conflict later on. I think it's an interesting thing, you know, the point about there being different people involved too, right? So there's the transition from on our side, in our case, the, the sales group that's been involved to the actual delivery group. But typically the same sort of transition exists for our customers as folks that are decision makers and signatories and budget holders transition a project down to the folks who are in the know and potentially the users um, who are going to be working with us directly. And they they actually do have certainly different perspectives, but also different objectives. So a purchase may be done for, for one reason, which is different, and it may be guided by a whole different set of decision criteria than than what the implementation team is trying to get out of the specific thing. And so, you know, th those kickoff meetings are good when we can have the people that have been involved with the decision sort of tell us again as a, as a new team uh, of both sides, right, what our objectives were, what, what the reason was, and kind of help us get on that same page too. I think it's, I think that's really valuable. And then work through that transition plan of, you know, how, how we got selected you know, and two, like, what is it that we're actually trying to do and what our success metrics are for achieving that? I think a common source of conflict is just personality clashes also. Like you can do as much as possible to set the team up for success and have open communication. And I think we'll talk about all the ways to handle it in a minute, but there are often people that just don't mesh. Their communication styles or approach to work or something are just opposite. And so you get some conflict from that. Yeah. And people dealing with whatever they're dealing with outside of those meetings, whether right. it's outside of work or whether it's just in the other things that they're doing. Right. Everyone mm -hmm. kind of brings a whole set of uh, other activities with them into our engagements and our conversations and with all sorts of different levels of stress behind them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. A certain measure of, of empathy and humility, I think, goes a long way in navigating conflict in a healthy way. You can still argue your point and you can still disagree, but you can do that in a, a kind way or in an understanding way, or you can do that in a really nasty self-serving way that doesn't really go anywhere and probably will just create even more conflict. I think one helpful way I've heard it, like you can kind of break conflict down into various like stages of intensity and like the level one or two ones are pretty, you know, it could be differences of, of opinion or of taste, or it can be differences of approach that it may vary wildly between different people, but it's it's something you can kind of navigate through. But once you get to the point where it's like, this is no longer about like the thing we're talking about, it's about like me versus you, or like you're attacking my character or you're attacking my authority or whatever it may be in the, in the situation. Like that's when it gets a lot harder to kind of parse through what are we actually having conflict about? Cause it's, you kind of reach a point where it's harder to, to kind of zone in on what do we need to accomplish here? And, and it kind of gets more personal. So Keeping it at the lower levels when possible can can help sidestep some of that. But I'm curious, what are some of the other ways that you can go about navigating conflict? And when it does come up, because it will, it's, it's you know an inevitability of interacting with people, mm -hmm. healthy ways to, to, to manage that. 
I think if you're in a leadership role or a manager role, it's important to make sure that you're listening and not reacting to the situation, to not provide your opinion on something or blame someone or assign fault. It's really important to hear all sides of the conflict and validate their experience and their viewpoint. And then you can kind of go from there in a more objective uh, way to help resolve the conflict. Um, But really, I think just taking the time to listen, to validate that you understand all of the different viewpoints and, and to not react. I was going to say, just to, to follow that that thought process, also to prod a little bit to, to find out why the person is concerned or, or why they're upset and how it affects the outcome that we've all signed up for. So back to, you know, if we've established what the goals are and everybody's working to the same goal set and task, what is the person upset about and what does he believe is going to change if they get their way? I think that's trying to understand why the, the actual reason they're upset and how it impacts the project is, is a good way of going. So if it really is just a personality clash, you'll find out really quickly and then you can you can kind of sidebar that as a, a separate thing to deal with. If it's something fundamental to delivery of the project, then you can you can bring that into the light quicker and, and get more people involved in terms of a broader discussion. Yeah, I would agree. I think that that's, you know, again, if you're a leader or a manager in a situation, making sure that the environment is set up such that people can share when they're, when they've faced an issue. Um, And that kind of helps, there will still be conflict, but it helps if people have the space to share, however, the things might be affecting them. Uh, And then you can sort of mitigate half of the conflict before it starts, because it's, it's an environment that allows for that communication. Yes, it's yeah, asking think, the whys, right? And not just blank whys, but like helping whys through the conversation. And, you know, as Brian said, you know, there's baggage involved, right? We all are experiencing other things outside of the project. And so helping ask the whys to steer that conversation and unravel the onion uh, to really get to the core parts of them being upset. And if they all of a sudden are like, huh, I don't know, maybe I was just pissed off and that's why I'm so angry. Uh, but there was no real reason to be angry. That happens, you know, all the time. Yeah, I, I very much like Leslie's first point around sort of understanding the situation, right? It, it, it's critical to do that. And I think one of the common themes of managing conflict is is de-escalation, right? Like at, at all mm-hmm. turns, you, you should be looking for the de-escalation path. And I think that actually starts in the sort of understand the situation stage as well, because a lot of times we're prepared to manage conflict and we can, we can end up in situations where we're actually, we're hearing something as conflict that actually isn't conflict. It's a way someone chose to explain something or a tone of voice they happen to be in, or like you're, you're not on camera and you, you, there, there's something else going on in the background or like it, it just there's some other circumstance and in, in all these meetings that we have where we're not next to somebody, we've lost so much of that communication that something else is triggering that this is conflict when in fact, it's actually not conflict. And so like, you know, right from the start in our own head, sort of de-escalating, making sure that we really do hear what's being said and that we're not like moving forward in this oh, it is conflict when in fact it's not. Um, I think we experience a lot of things in conversation that we could label as conflict. And 
the immediate follow-up to it in a lot of cases determines whether or not it was conflict um, just by by the way that you react to things. I also think just in terms of the, the follow-up, asking the individuals involved in the conflict to take some responsibility in the decision on how to resolve it. So asking them like, what, what would make you feel better going forward? Or if this were to happen again, how do you think you would handle it? Or, you know, are you ready to talk about this with other people involved? And just making sure that as you're navigating through resolving the conflict, those people are directly involved because that's going to help prevent future conflicts as well if they're part of the solution. Um, the situation where we were were definitely in conflict with a participant on one of the projects. And finally, I had a side conversation and realized to your uh, earlier points that the problem wasn't with our project. The problem was everyone was agreeing to what should be done on our project. And then immediately this uh, poor participant was getting another direction from senior management and different priorities so he couldn't actually address the things that he was tasked with which was creating enormous frustration for him and was manifesting itself as conflict in in our project so there's um there's a lot of ways to dig in and find out and there's a lot of things as you say brian that uh, come to play that we never even see sometimes unless you really dig into the issue i'll give you another example we had uh, a previous project with a difficult client. And uh, we used to have internal standups daily. And from the tone of the project manager and how they were communicating with us in that standup, you would know exactly when they had met earlier with a client and the client really laid into them, right? For something that they were unhappy about, whether it was directly related to our project or not, it just came through because the PM then got frustrated, right? And even though they didn't intend to, we could tell, uh, right? And so just sort of being aware and forgiving uh, and understanding. And then seeing that happen saying, okay, how can we help? Is there room for improvement if the, the client is not happy with something, right? So being aware and like watching and questioning. One thing that I think is interesting that kind of keeps coming up is how, when you're interacting with or, or find yourself in a situation where there's conflict, I think that the tendency, at least for me, is often to kind of want to take a step back and like, okay, I'm just going to kind of hands off, let this sort itself out. When really, the majority of the time, the solution is kind of stepping in and asking a question, you know, doing it respectfully, trying to get to the bottom of it. But I'm curious, like, are there times where there's a conflict or types of conflict where the solution is to take a step back and to, to not mess with it? Uh, and how can you tell the difference between, hey, this is something I need to engage with, this is something where I need to step forward and try to clarify, try to help find a solution versus, you know what, I any attempts I make at this are just going to make it worse. It's It would be best for me to step backward. Well, I feel like it depends on the people involved in the conflict. Maybe that's a little bit stating the obvious, but if they're engaging in conflict but are being respectful to each other and doing the other things that we've talked about, they don't really need someone else's opinion or or help. I think it's when the the two sides aren't hearing each other or aren't willing to listen or maybe even outright rude when when you do want to step in. I think that's a good point. I think a lot of that comes down to, you know, Leslie's earlier point about personality types in a lot of ways. There's certainly like what stage you're in, like as you kind of talked about, Johnny, but then there's also like what personality types are involved in it and how, how are they managing the situation? Because sometimes 
sometimes the only path, and especially again with, with different personality types, is actually to table that particular topic at that particular time and to come back to it later. And the action you take is actually to postpone. So I, I do think there are times when that's appropriate. I don't think that's the majority case though. In my experience, I think the majority case you can help navigate. And a lot of that is around all the things that you do ahead of time to set up an environment you can have productive conflict in, right? I think there's there's so many things that can be done to set set yourself up for success in these types of communications and establish healthy communicating environments where people can have issues or misunderstandings, voice them and and then work through them. And you can do that more productively without having to quote unquote kind of like take a break. I like that approach. Uh, I've used that several times. The other thing is to, to reduce the number of participants as well, is to bring the, the, key, the key people to the table. And then as a, as a delivery lead, you know, be absolutely blunt. Don't, don't hedge around the problem. You know, the, the next meeting is I brought you two together because there's obviously conflict. Let's, let's solve it, you know, because the, the project's at risk here. If we continue with this, how do we, how do we solve it? And the sooner you can address it, the better. The longer you leave it, the worse it's going to get. In fact, it'll mature into something else, you know. It comes down to sort of roles and responsibilities, right? If this is your role to help solve it, then you know. Uh, if it's not, then you should, you know, let the people that are meant to solve it uh, step in. It's sort of like the event horizon, right? Or in this case, the conflict horizon. Are you are you within that horizon or are you outside? Uh, because if you're outside, then exactly adding more people could add more fuel to the fire, right? And speaking the personality types, some people actually enjoy conflict, right? It's like drama and excitement <laughs> and they, they get amusement out of it. So also being aware of those types, right? That uh, always are putting a little more fuel in there. But um, one thing that I've actually experienced that um, because we have different uh, clients all the time, the environment in the client's workplace might be completely different than ours. So they might have a more confrontational, um, just like baseline at their job, at their company. And uh, sometimes that can be a bit shocking when you're experiencing that and it's not really what you're used to doing. So finding the the appropriate means to talk to the client about their approach um, and how we might work together to alter it slightly. That's always an interesting, that's a more, that's more of a tightrope on that one, but it does happen. And another approach to make sure it doesn't escalate more is, you know, giving the, the benefit of the doubt, right? Usually people are coming at it from good uh, intentions, right? Very rarely have we seen people that have malintent. It has happened. We've experienced it. I've experienced it for sure. But that's uh, a very rare case. Most of the time, there's good intent, just misunderstanding, and things are either unspecified or underspecified, right? Creating that gray area. Uh, and then, again, open interpretation. So talking it out always uh, helps usually uh, solve the problem or get to a, a solution. But uh, instead of getting defensive right away, uh, which sometimes we do, especially if it's something that's close to us and meaningful to us and we're really tied in, our instant reaction is to get defensive and start speaking. But as we said, right, just listen and assume good intent and then really talk through what the actual problem is. As you say, I would agree with assuming good intent. I think that that really sets your approach up for being more open to hearing people. 
Um, and as Brian said earlier, people have their own lives, they have stuff going on. So if you just always kind of keep in mind that you have no idea what's happening in their life outside of this phone call and assume good intent, you'll get a lot more success out of the resolution. Like don't have meetings after football games. Cause like if your team just lost, you are not <laughs> going to be happy and you're going to hate everything. Right. And it's just the nature of it. Yeah. It's interesting. I think, I think one way to think about conflict is yeah, for sure. There are people who may be more prone to it or may enjoy it to some extent, but it's rarely pleasant uh, for everyone involved and recognizing that it's, yeah, it may not be pleasant, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's bad. It doesn't mean it's something to be avoided. And it can often be an opportunity for clarification and for uh, coming together instead of, you know, being something that kind of pushes people apart if you work through it well. I am curious if y'all have any examples of times when or for any projects you've been on or, or any any types of conflict that you've encountered and, you know, it may have been particularly difficult, but then, you know, on the other side of it, you saw positive outcomes from that. Suppose I could bring up the story that I was just talking about where the client workplace had a completely different approach to how they uh, speak to one another. Uh, it was a lot more sort of adversarial than we're used to. And it kind of came to a head on a call where one of the clients was uh, really being a little bit derogatory and rude to the team. And it was just a matter of talking to that person and, you know, understanding that that things may be different, but here's how we choose to approach things on the work that we do with them. And that was, well, it was a long time ago and uh, things have been really smooth and quite collaborative and uh, just a totally different uh, relationship. Yeah, I had a, a similar thing where um, the client, the um, CTO was extremely abrasive with his own team and it was causing a lot of discomfort across both teams. And in that instance, it was just a, a side conversation just to explain the impact it was having. And, and in that instance, it was. It was more of a cultural thing. It was like, well, how, you know, we do that all the time. No one worries about it. And it was like, okay, well, the, the way it's coming across on the broader team is, is extremely negative. And we just, you know, adapted. And uh, I think in that instance, we actually set up a different meeting with a subset of people where you know concerns could be expressed in a different way it was more of a you know free format as opposed to a you know a wider audience format and that worked really well as, as well but it, again it was just addressing the issue straight away instead of leaving it and trying to find out what the what the driver was you know determining if the person was really just aggressive and and that was their style or whether it was a cultural thing that was more acceptable I was going to say in larger companies, you find that less and less because the, the culture is more dictatorial in terms of the process you use, whereas smaller startup companies, you know, the pressure's high, the people are living, you know, in the office together for extended periods of time, it can be a lot more volatile. Yeah, I think, I think there's, there's an interesting and opposite case as well. Very much based on environments, cultures, personality types, where the conflict is actually silent and you actually have to like either develop another sense for it or really be very probing in order to find it there, where there are just certain circumstances. And 
you know, we work with people all around the globe. And so different cultures certainly handle this differently. Um, but e even within our own region, right, there's still different personality types who may just be conflict avoidant altogether um, or may manage it through a different process. And it's, it's equally important to try to suss that out, right, to try to like make sure if you don't really have a good sense for how somebody's feeling about things to make sure you have the conversations and open up the communication in ways where you can explicitly kind of gather that information and, and make sure things are tracking because odds are pretty good that all projects have sort of the same pace of conflict, right? Like things get miscommunicated all the time. There's misunderstandings in general, the world changes, right? The projects change, the, underlying assumptions change we have to adapt to it and if we're not if we're not finding or hearing the conflict on a regular basis um, more often than not it's probably not a good thing right there probably is conflict and now we have to go and figure out what exactly it is to make sure that we stay ahead of it and that the outcome is not just oh okay we finally got done and now we're done working with those guys forever because we didn't get what we wanted and Turns out they they had no idea they didn't that we didn't get what we wanted right so I think you know there's there's sort of this this opposite situation as well for us all to be cognizant of yeah if you can surface the conflict and discuss it and address it that's actually a very healthy sign right it shows a sense of maturity and if you can get through this conflict it actually makes your relationship healthier right you come out stronger. Because now you can openly communicate and know that you can still get past these hiccups you have throughout, right? And, you know, we're, we've been talking about conflict with clients and, you know, external conflict, basically. There's also internal conflicts too, right? So as you, as your project team approaches problems differently, one developer might have disagreements about how to implement something versus another, right? That's just another type of conflict. And how do we address that? We discuss it. We do PRs right? Uh, similarly in design, right? So just w working through it, you end up with better quality code or better quality designs once you get through that process. And so similarly, you know, we do the same thing when we're working on projects and working with clients, right? Those are just different types of approaches. And if you can work through them, then you're going to get a better end quality product at the tail end of it. Yeah, I like that comment about knowing how to navigate conflict among the people you work with, you know, internally, and especially like recognizing conflicts when it comes up within myself and like, oh, is that, you know, kind of asking those same questions for myself. Like, am I, am I just being cranky? Like, do I just need to like have a snack and like calm down? Or is there actually something like bothering me for those who can't tell Kareem is raising his hand. Uh, <laughs> but I, I think it's, it's, there's a whole other side of conflict that's like recognizing my own you know, my own things on my own, like what are, what are the questions or the assumptions that I have that I'm not even aware of? And it can take some introspection that and I think that's, that's just as important to recognize when you're approaching conflict with others. Like, Hey, what, what am I bringing to the table that I need to be aware of that maybe I haven't thought about? Yeah. I do that all the time at home with the kids and the family. Stop myself before I, I speak, <laughs> try and re rethink where am I coming from on this subject? You know, <laughs> That's, that's called check yourself before you wreck yourself, right? Yeah. <laughs> if, if I haven't had a snack in 40 minutes, then uh, expect some conflict. <laughs> Especially if you're in the in front of the pantry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
you know, I think I think uh, Leslie's one of her early points is critical, right? Which is always understand the circumstance, right? And you really have to ask the whys to get to the bottom of it because in many cases, it's really not obvious. Um, and a lot of what escalates the situation is misunderstanding around the actual circumstance at that time. Um, and taking the time to really understand it and make sure that you kind of see as many of the angles as you can from the position of the client or the person on the other side of the conversation, I think is, is, is really critical. And having some patience and some empathy while you're, while you're in that part of the process is critical uh, in order to do that effectively. And then I think everything else is really about how you set up the environment. I think it's really important to be clear with expectations and they're ever-changing and managing how they change is, is critical. And, and keeping everyone on the same page with regard to expectations is um, one of the surefire ways to reduce the amount of conflict. I mean, in the end, there's only a couple angles that we're working from, right? There's what we're trying to accomplish from a scope standpoint and how much time we have to do it and, and how much it costs to do that, right? And those are the elements that probably are at the, the root of a great majority of conflict. And so establishing that, reestablishing that, staying updated on it is, is, is helpful. And then making sure that you have those communication channels open so that when there's some sort of discrepancy identified, it's voiced and it's voiced quickly and then it can come to resolution. So making that environment a healthy communicating environment where there's a free flow of information across those fronts in order to um, keep everyone's eyes on it and aware and, and, and address things early. I think all those, all those items are, are really helpful with, with regard to preventing and then ultimately managing conflict. I agree. And I'll, I'll add to that, that is, you know, you should also start to get to know the person on the other side, right? And so oftentimes you want to handle conflict right away and not let it fester. Uh, but sometimes knowing when to address it is very important too, right? If this is just not the time because there's there's going to be no resolution because they have all this other built up stuff, then it's okay to say, you know, let's give it a little bit. Let's let the situation cool down and then address the conflict, right? So when can be an important factor, especially in some uh, built up situations. Addressing conflict immediately is important. Even if, even if it is a deferred decision, just identifying it, tagging it, and putting it into a place where you know you're going to deal with it, in the, you know, as soon as possible, is absolutely critical. The longer the longer you leave it, the worse it will get, or the harder to resolve. I shouldn't say the worse, the harder to resolve. I also think a key piece is if you find yourself in the position where you're the one sort of navigating the resolution to remove ego from it completely because it's not about you. Even when mm -hmm. it's about you, it's not about you. And uh, just being able to, to kind of take a step back and look at it objectively. Yeah, your goal can't be just to win, it needs to be to, right. to better understand and actually find a, a solution that benefits everyone. Right, but the, two, the people in conflict are gonna have ego, that's part of why they're in conflict. So if mm -hmm. you're the What's the word? Mitigator? I don't know. Then you have to remove it from your approach. And leave your ego at the door. 
I'm just, you know, as a mom, I'm just noticing how much of this is the same way that I approach things with my young children and, uh, and how much you learn just being in more of a leadership position and, and how you have to increase your emotional intelligence in ways that uh, maybe you thought you had, but you didn't. And a lot of what we've been talking about is really just like how to be a decent person. <laughs> I'm sure there's a significant amount of overlap between parenting and dealing with a bunch of sassy, egotistical project managers. <laughs> Mm -hmm. I mean, yes, but it's also not just the sassy, egotistical project managers. It's just people. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just, yeah. I, I often find myself drawing the parallels to parenting and then thinking, okay, well, let me, let me try to go a different direction because not everyone I'm talking to right now is a parent. And the, the reality is that <laughs> there's a lot of it in parenting, but there's, there's equally as much in just maintaining a relationship with yeah. your significant other or your mom or your dad or basically anyone else in life. Absolutely. Thanks for connecting with us today. If you have a complex software problem that needs solving, thoughts on what we discussed today, or ideas on what topics we should tackle next, feel free to reach out to us at podcast at experiowink.com or on Twitter at experiowink. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks again for joining us and we look forward to connecting with you next time. All right, does anyone have any uh, profound closing thoughts or stories that you'd like to share? I thought you were gonna say profanity, you said profound. Now, this is a non-explicit podcast, but I can insert the uh, sound if I need to. <laughs> Throughout the episode, you should have like ding, 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 and then round two, and then round three. Yeah. You should also like just randomly just bleep Kareem. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I should. On, on words that are not yeah. on words. Except for they're, they're always in clients. They're oftentimes but you don't have to have that. Johnny, cut that part. <laughs> <laughs>